0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. It's, it's so great to be with you guys again this morning. I love doing life uh, with this church. With you guys, it is Awesome, and don't be nervous that I have an extra stand here. It doesn't mean that we're going to go twice as long, or does it? So, no, it does not. So, today we are continuing our series on the the book of 1 Peter, the, the letter of 1 Peter, called The Struggle is Real, and today we're going to be talking about that the struggle is real, but we have a loving Father, right, and the... It is true that we do have a loving Father. Um, and as we p- kind of push into this new section here, um, from verse for chapter 1, 13 to chapter 2, verse 3, we're, we're going to see that, yes, we have a loving Father. And we saw this... C- you know, Peter started talking about the the father God in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, where he says that we have a father who has prepared an inheritance for us, right? And so he's talking about us as, as, if we have a father, right, the implication is that we are children, and Peter is, as we see throughout this letter, that we, um, as or the Christ followers, the the Christians that he's writing to in Asia Minor, right, they, um, as we saw on week one, they were, right, we kind of talked about them being mutants, right, like from the the X-Men, anybody remember that? And that they were outcasts, they didn't have a place in society, they were uh, subjugated, they were persecuted, they, people didn't trust them, right? And so Peter is saying, you guys who once were not a people, uh, you guys who once kind of lived in ignorance, you guys were were far from God, now you are sons and daughters of God, and you have been invited into this family. You've been invited into a community of believers. And in this family, there are certain expectations, right? We have a loving father. We are part of his family. And because of that, he wants us to live holy lives in the Of our trials. And Pastor Cameron, just a quote from his uh, sermon last week. He said, The knowledge of what is reserved for us in the future should directly affect how we live today. Right? And so last week, Pastor Cameron talked uh, about the, the first portion of, of this book, and talking about that God has an inheritance for us, that God has saved us, right? That God has, has chosen us to be his, his sons and daughters. And so, because that is true, it will affect how we live, and we are called to live holy lives. And so we'll see that the overarching theme of this uh, section of Scripture is holiness. And Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary uh, defines holiness as moral and ethical wholeness or perfection, freedom from moral evil. And I think based on this definition, this understanding of holiness, it's, this is what everybody wants. right? This is what everybody is, is longing for. I don't know anybody that says, I just wish there was more evil in this world. Right? Oh, I just wish that people were more broken and depraved and selfish so that they could maybe bring in some more evil. Right, Nobody says that. Everybody wants this freedom from evil. Right, But holiness kind of has a, a negative connotation. It doesn't feel like we don't really like that word holiness. Right, And we have to understand, if we're going to understand this section of Scripture, what holiness really is. And we have to have a... Uh, an understanding of holiness that lines up with what God is thinking. And so we all want holiness. We all want freedom from moral evil, right? And we all ha- kind of have this idea of what holiness looks like, right? We've we've kind of defined it. But because we are depraved humans, right, with this sin nature, none of us is actually able to uphold even our own understanding or our own definition of holiness. But good news, we have been born again. We have been saved. We have been empowered by Christ, and God himself has revealed what holiness looks like. So we don't have to kind of guess and just kind of say, my preferences for holiness is this. No, we know what God has called us to do, and we can press into that, and we can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right and so holiness uh, is what I 'm trying to get at is is not bad. It is not God saying that I just don't want my people to have fun. I don 't want my people to enjoy life, and certainly that is how I kind of understood holiness back you know when when I was in high school and in beyond, right, kind of starting to make my own decisions on faith and how I was going to live life like I didn't really super care for God's definition of holiness, right? I was in a super cool rock band called Social Blunder. Anybody? <laughs> Social Blunder. <laughs> All right, and I had long wavy hair. It was it was gr- glorious. Um, so I was, in, I was in a rock band, and so what I wanted to do was just party with, with my friends, right? But I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor, so I'd heard a lot of things, and I understood what God's definition of holiness was. And I understood that he was against fun, right? He was against drinking. He's against drugs. He's against premarital things. He's against, um, he's against rock and roll, certainly. doesn't want to play cards, Don't watch movies. Anyway, that wasn't really what I grew up in. But anyway, you understand, like, God has these rules and regulations that I have to follow, right? And so God is obviously against fun, right? And then God also has these crazy ideas, like, the first will be last, and the last shall be first. You want me to to serve other people? That is crazy, because I need to look out for myself, because if I don't, then nobody else is going to do it. And so, God, I just feel like you don't understand how the world works right? And so, and and I am 19 years old, so I'm pretty sure I've got it figured out, so I'm just going to do things my own way, right? And so I turn my back on God. I walk away from that, and I say, I don't like that holiness. God's against fun. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, this understanding of holiness is completely not what God's intention is. It's not true. It's completely whacked out. Is that a word? It's completely crazy, all right? Because holiness is, is good. It is good for us, right? And God is not against fun. If we look um, in the first two chapters of Genesis, we see the creation account, and God creates everything. He creates everything out of nothing, and eventually places Adam there in, in the, the garden of Eden, and he says, see all these trees, all these plants, everything here is for your pleasure. It's all for you. And all of the fruit, this is good to eat. right? God put Adam there and he wanted him to enjoy this good gift of creation that God had placed him in. And then God steps back theoretically, and he looks and like, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve and he puts Adam and Eve together in the garden and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and go and subdue the earth and create culture and, you know, enjoy this gift of creation that I have given you. And I think that in that time, in that place, Adam and Eve were holy. They were living in perfect holiness, right? They were free from moral evil. Right? They were morally and ethically whole. They were perfect in that place. And I don't think that anybody would say that prior to the fall, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, you know, and they're walking in the cool of the garden with God, and, and they're doing their stuff, right? They were, I'm certain that they're not unhappy. right? Because God placed them in this world to enjoy. God's desire is for them to enjoy the world, to be happy. Well, don't worry. Um, and so what we see is in chapter 3 during the, the fall, right, that Adam and Eve do the, the one thing God tells them not to. Sin enters the world. All of a sudden there's sin and death and destruction in the world, and they, the image of God in Adam and Eve is fractured, right, and they are no longer holy. They're no longer free from moral evil. They're no longer whole and perfect. Right? And it's that destruction, the, the, what sin brought into the world, right? And that is the, the evil that we all don't want, that we all don't like right and so we can understand if we think about it that holiness is good it's where we came from it's what god created for us it's how we live well in relationship with each other and it's really it is where we're going when jesus comes back and we're bodily resurrected right we will enjoy this holiness in its completeness in the fulfilled kingdom but because of jesus death and resurrection we can step into that now we can we can enter into this purity and this holiness that God is calling to us right now. And it is better than living contrary to what God, how God wants us to live and how God calls us to live. All right, so that's my introduction, trying to say holiness is good. Okay, so we're going to start here in chapter 1, verse 13. And it says, Therefore, All right, and so we see in verse 13, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace. Right, we see that Peter is kind of, in a way, kind of summarizing what has come before. He says, therefore, based on this inheritance, based on this salvation, based on this eternal hope, this is how you should live. Right, you have been, you who were once not a people, have been brought into a community and now this is how you live well in community. You are called to live as obedient children. And Peter, in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he he talked about how God, our Father, has an inheritance, how we are his children. He He has adopted us into his family, but as... Pastor Cameron said our future hope and really our theology, our understanding, what we know about God should direct how we live our lives. And uh, Peter says you are to live not only as children, which you are, thank God, right? But you are to live as obedient children. And then to kind of describe what this looks like, he contrasts two different things. He says, do not be conformed uh, that's the, the NASB. Um, the NIV says, do not conform to the, to the former lust. But I think that the, the NASB uh, it says it in this passive uh, form. I don't know what the right word is. In this passive way, he says, don't be conformed, right? It's, like, it's not even, it's you that is doing the conforming, right? You are being conformed as you fulfill the, the lust of your flesh, right? I think that Peter here is saying that left to your own devices, left on, on your own, you are going to be conformed to the sin nature that is inside of you, right? The sin nature that was passed on from, from Adam and Eve after the fall. Right, and so don't be conformed to that. You have to, you don't want to conform to the, the the lusts of the flesh. And Peter says, like you did when you lived in ignorance, right? When you didn't know Jesus, when you weren't following God, you just kind of did your own thing, and you were conformed. You just fell into sin. You kind of entered into all the, the death and, and the destruction, the, the things that bring division in, in relationships. That's how you guys lived before. But he's saying you are now obedient children. You are now part of a family, right? And so don't do that anymore, but be holy. right? He's saying don't be passively kind of conformed into your, the, the sin nature, but actively pursue holiness. Actively pursue what God has called you to do. Right, We no longer just have to follow the lusts of our flesh because we have a new example in our lives. We have Jesus Christ, and it is him and his holiness and his self-sacrificial nature. That is what we are going to pursue because we are called to be obedient children. And we are to be holy like God is holy. And then in verse 15, it continues. It says, in the NIV, it says, don't conform um, or uh, I better read it. Do, 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 do. But just he has called you as holy. So be holy in all you do. All right? And But I, I actually like it better the that, that in the, the NASB. Uh, it says, be holy in your behavior. Where did it go? There it is. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, or in the ESV it says, in all your conduct. I just think that's a a little bit stronger, right? That that God is calling us, or Peter here is calling the, the Christians in Asia Minor, he's saying to be holy, right? To pursue God, to live well with your community in all of your behavior, in all of your conduct. Right? Not just in your thoughts, not just in your intentions, not just in, in your heart like, oh, I'm going to think positive thoughts towards these people that are persecuting me, or I'm going to think positive thoughts by, to my, you know, my brothers and sisters who are part of this family of God. No, Peter is calling the, the Christians to be holy actively in their behavior and their conduct. Okay, so moving along into chapter 1, verse 17, Peter says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. So Peter, in in the first couple of verses that we looked at here, says that you are to be obedient. And obedience looks like not conforming to sin nature, not conforming to this culture, not conforming to the world, but pursuing God, pursuing His holiness. And then here in verse 17, he starts to explain um, why Christ's followers should be holy. And in verse 17, he says, You should be holy because you will be judged for what you do. Oh, that's kind of heavy, right? You will be judged for what you do. And I think that what I believe that Peter is saying here is that we will be held responsible for the things that we do. right? In the New Living Translation, it actually says that, uh, that, you, that God will... Um, judge you or reward you based on what you do, right? And so God is looking. He's not just hoping to, to smite you and crush you, right? That was kind of my understanding of this angry God, you know, back in high school, this angry God that I, that I walked away from. I didn't want any part of that, right? But, and so judgment certainly carried this horrible connotation of God just wanting to bring the hammer down on people, right? But I don't think that that judgment at all reveals this angry God, right? This judgment, it comes from his his love, in his holiness, in in his righteousness. There has to be a payment for the sin that entered into the world, right? There has to be payment for that sin. And so, so God says or Peter here says that you will be judged. God watches you and you have to be held responsible for what you do. We can't say, well, it's not my fault because this person did that and this other person did that. No, we are responsible, right? We can't say, well, it's not really my fault. I have this bummer sin nature, right? And so it's just kind of what I do. You can't hold me responsible for that. No, Peter says, you will be judged for what you do. And that feels a little bit scary, but the good news is that Peter doesn't end there. He continues on to give us more reasons uh, why we should be holy, right? And we will be judged for what we do, and we know that that we don't live up to Uh, you know, God's expectations, right? We can't do enough. We can't work our way. We can't earn our way back into God's good graces. We can't earn our way into salvation, right? And so it's like, oh, it's going to be scary, you know, standing before this God who's going to judge me because I am super messed up. But the good news is that we will be able to, we don't have to fear that judgment, because of what Jesus did. And yes, there are consequences to the things that we do, whether good or bad, but we can stand confidently, though, in reverent fear before God on on that day because Jesus paid the price for our sin. Because Jesus died and shed his blood for us. God has paid an incredible price for each one of our salvation. And Peter contrasts again two things. He said that God didn't pay for your ransom. He didn't redeem you with silver or gold, right? It's not like uh, it just costs some, some carnal stuff. It's just some, oh, it just cost me a couple bucks to save Bill, and it cost me a few dollars to save Lucy, and blah blah. you know, whatever. And he's like, and Jesus is like, well, this is getting expensive. And God's like, No, don't worry. I got a part-time job at Pizza Hut this weekend. I'm going to make that back. So it shouldn't be a big deal. That might not be a great example. But the idea, right, is he's comparing that it's not just, uh, he didn't buy you back with a couple bucks. He paid your ransom price with the precious blood of Jesus. And if I can remind you of a series, do you guys remember that we talked about the Nicene Creed a couple months ago? Anyway, in one of those uh, sermons, it said, we... Talked talks about this. And we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. And it is this Jesus, this, uh, uh, the second person of the Trinity, right, that went to the cross. You know, and the, the reason that they they wrote the, the Nicene Creed, right, is because during this time, there were people kind of questioning the, the divinity of Jesus. Is he actually God? Or maybe he's just a, a, a good guy. Or maybe the, the spirit kind of filled this guy up, but, but then left before he was crucified because it doesn't make any sense that, that God dies, right? But the, the, the writers, the creators of the Nicene Creed say, no, it is imperative that Jesus is God. Right? And that's why they say he is very God of very God. He was begotten, not made. There's never a moment when Jesus did not exist. He is, there is, you know, three three persons, one essence. It's this triune God that is kind of impossible to get our minds wrapped around. Right? But this second person of the Trinity is the one whose blood was spilled, who went to the cross, who was murdered, crucified, and died, right, so that we could be redeemed. From our sin. It is the precious blood of Jesus, not just a couple of bucks, that redeemed us. And so Peter has told us that as part of a family, as a part of a community of believers, you are supposed to live holy lives, right? And he said the the reason you should live holy lives is because God has his eye on you, he's watching you, right? And the other reason is because God paid this this incredibly high price for you, right, that that we owe everything to him, that we should, you know, whatever God asks us to do, this this holy God, we, we should do whatever he says because he bought us back. He redeemed us. He saved us from the, the judgment that God is going to put on sin, this judgment that we could not stand under. Jesus did it for us, right? And so we see those things, and then Peter continues on and he says, because of those things, this is what your holiness should look like. And this unfolds more and more throughout the the letter, but he starts to touch on it here. He says in verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Here we have another contrast, right? You once had this perishable seed, but now, because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside you, you have the the Word of God, this imperishable seed that is inside you, enabling you to fulfill this holiness that God is calling you to. He says in verse 24, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. In chapter 2, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, in verse 22, this is the uh, the NASB translation. Again, he says, Since you have in obedience purified your souls. Right? And so, this... Uh, we saw obedience, right, in verse 14, right, that we are called to be obedient child, children of, of our Father. And in verse 22, he says, Since you have in obedience purified your souls, right, since you have obeyed Christ, since you have submitted to Jesus Christ as your Lord, and you have purified yourselves, the outworking of that, the outflow of this obedience and this holiness is to love one another and i really like it in um this what verse is it do 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 in verse 22 peter says not only to say just love one another but it's like he um he he can't quite get the words to express it he says love one another and then he says love one another fervently, deeply from from the depths of your heart. That is what you are supposed to do because you've been born again, because of what God has done, because you are pursuing holiness. You are called to love one another. Right? And we can fulfill this command, you know, and we saw, you know, Jesus in the gospel has said, a new command I give you to love one another. Right? And we can fulfill this command that, that Peter reiterates here because we have been born again. We have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He now lives inside us. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, uh... Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Right? We as we follow Jesus, as we submit to Jesus, as we believe in Him as our, our Lord and Savior, right, we are, are renewed. Our old sin nature, the sin nature that, uh, that conforms us kind of to the, the sin and the culture in this world. We, we do things that bring death and destruction and division, right? You know, that part of us is dead. We're no longer slaves to sin and death. We are a new creation. We now have the ability to actually pursue this holiness that God has called us to. We actually have the ability to really love one another, to truly love one another from the depths of our heart. And Peter goes on in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, um, you know, therefore, because of all this, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He's saying that you are called to love fervently, to love passionately. And you, what you're called to not do is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a couple of things, Peter says, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list, right? But he's saying, stop living in malice, which is just this, a desire to do evil, right? Don't live in deceit right? Don't live in hypocrisy and live in envy. And all of these activities, all of these behaviors are done in community, right? And I think that there is this theme throughout the, the letter, really throughout the New Testament, right, that we are a community of believers. We are, are not just individuals. The Bible wasn't written to to uh, just one single person, right? This letter was written to a community, and in the same way, this letter is written to us in community. That we are to love one another. We are to love one another fervently from the depths of our heart. And that means as we live together, we don't conform to, to malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander and anything else that would bring division and destruction into this community. And then after this, what not to do, don't, don't, no malice, no envy, none of that stuff. Instead of that stuff, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crave pure spiritual milk. And Peter here, this pure spiritual milk is the word of God. But Scott McKnight um, in his commentary of uh, First Peter, gives a great understand, a great definition of pure spiritual milk here, um, and he says that this refers to the very things that nourish the Christian community in its growth: knowledge of God, prayer, instruction in the gospel, faithful obedience in hearing, God, uh, hearing God's preached word. The desire for spiritual nourishment is the desire of any church that wants to know the Lord and live in light of his will. And so as we, as a a community, pursue God, as we pursue holiness, right? We've heard the word of God. We have been given an imperishable seed instead of our old sinful nature, right? We can live holy lives, and that has radically changed us, right? But in order for us to continue walking this out, to, to live this, for the rest of our lives, right? Because we all know that we can kind of lose it, right? We're not perfect, right? We can, we, can, we can be kind of loving for a little bit and then we kind of get messed up, right? And we kind of fall over into our, our old sinful lifestyles or our own carnal nature kind of rises up for a minute, right? But if we want to continue walking in this, we want to crave this pure spiritual milk. So we want to pursue the knowledge of God. We want to pursue prayer. We want to pursue, you know, hearing God's word preached. We want to pursue, you know, understand, reading and understanding our, our Bible, right? Because we want to grow in our salvation. We want to grow in our holiness. We want to grow in our ability to love one another and to love one another deeply and fervently from the depths of our heart. Awesome. Well, I'm way ahead of schedule. Well, I guess nobody will complain. All right, so application. So we've said a lot of words. Now, one of us has said a lot of words this morning. It was me. And, but the, uh, so one of the takeaways, I think, from, from this section of, of Scripture is that theology prompts behavior. Okay? And we, we see this in, in, uh, many of the the New Testament letters that they often start, right, with these kind of grand theological ideas, you know, talking about God and God's omnipotence, God's transcendence, right, and all this amazing realities uh, about God and and who he is, but they, there's always uh, an an action, right? That's not the end. It's not like, well, we just want you to know about God. We don't, we just want you to know who God is. No, there is a response. And that response to who God is, is right behavior. It is living for God. It is our conduct in this life. Because the reality is that what we believe about God affects how we live. And I think that uh, a huge takeaway from this section, is that loving one another is the behavior of holiness, right? And it's in this pursuit of holiness that we truly find freedom, right? And it's the behavior, it's the conduct, it is actually loving one another that we are called to do. And I think that, you know, like we said, we want to crave pure spiritual milk. We want to, to, to crave, you know, pursue God's word. We want to, you know, read godly books, and we want to, to do things that help us learn about God and grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God. But we cannot stop there right? Worshiping God on Sunday morning is awesome, is wonderful, it's important, but it cannot stop there. I believe that what we are called to do as a community is as we receive all these things that God has for us, as he fills us with his spirit, you know, as we worship him, as we crave this pure spiritual milk, right? That empowers us to do what God has called us to do, to actively love one another with our conduct and with our behavior. And I think that we have to remember and and understand that we do glorify God when we're reading our Bibles and where we're worshiping and when we're doing, you know, maybe our spiritual disciplines alone by ourselves. But ultimately, that is to lead us to glorify God through loving others. I just, I just think it's all through the scriptures that that is what we are supposed to do as a community of believers to love one another, to love God, to love one another, to honor the emperor. I think Peter says that later on. Anywho, so if you don't um, remember any of, any of the stuff that, that I talked about this morning, this is, this is the big point, right? How can you as a Christ follower, based on what God has done for you, based on God's call to be holy, how can you show love today? How can you show love to your family? Not just positive thoughts, right? Not just like, I know my wife loves me, but how can you show her that you love her? How can you show your kids you love them, right? Or in our faith community, in our church, And, you know, how can I show love? It's basically by teaching Sunday school and doing nursery. Um, How can can I walk this out in my life? How do I show love in this community? And finally, you know, how how can I love my neighbors? Because that is the goal, that is the point, right? We honor God, we glorify God, and the, the action of that is loving one another. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we, we're so grateful that you have planted us in this community. God, this community that no matter what we're going through in life, that we can walk it out together, that we can encourage each other, we can love each other, we can serve one another. God, we thank you for that. God, I pray that you, by the the power of your Spirit, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to to love you more, God, that you would help us to to actively show your love more in this community and in our world. God, we love you. We thank you for the price that you paid. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that he would humble himself to, to step out of heaven to come and be made a, a, a man to endure the, the suffering, the, the persecution and the